The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. It is time for Streetwise with former chief of the New York City Sheriff's Department, former chief of the Seagate Police Department, retired New York City detective, Time Warner Public Access Media Award, Joe Franklin Super Excellence in Broadcasting Memory Lane Award, New York Veteran Police Association Streetwise Production, host of Streetwise, Mr. Lou Tolano. Uh, good evening and welcome back to Streetwise. I, my guest, I got to apologize. He's hanging on the line there for a few minutes and uh, uh, a guy like him, you don't want to Keep on the line. Let me tell you. Uh, this, this. Uh, let me tell you. My guest has a great book out there, and I can relate to it because uh, my life sort of got involved in some of the things that uh, that uh, I'll include in his book and what had, he's done in his uh, his background. Uh, he's a he was a great uh, former investigative reporter for the New York Times. He's with some other. Uh, media outlets, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Anyway, he's the author of the five families. Now, we're not talking about the Partridge family. We're talking about, just quickly while he's still holding on, Bonanno, Colombo, Gambino, Genovese, Lucchese, crime family. I want to welcome to Streetwise, Selwyn Rab Selwyn. Pleasure to have you on the show. It's a great honor to be with you, Joe. Oh, uh, uh, thank you, thank you. Y- you know, when I mentioned my wife saw my life sort of in, in gets involved in what you've done uh, as a result of your investigative uh, story in the New York Times, uh, or maybe in uh, and anyway in, in several other papers, the infamous Wiley Hoffa murders, the career girl murders up in the early '60s, uh, which which actually inspired the uh, inspired the Kojak. TV series, and I happened to have a gentleman in the lobby who popped in because he knew he was going to be my guest. Him and I were consultants uh, for Kojak on the Kojak series. I got there late. I got there the last two years. But Joe Cirillo was in the lobby. He, he was on from the, with the telly from the beginning. But let's talk about the, uh, the before we jump back into that, I'm jumping all over the place. The, uh, how did, now you, why were you, uh, in the past, you seemed to be an expert on, uh, Mafiosa, Cosa Nostra. I'm going to go back to the Black Hand. How did that come about, uh, Selwyn? It was pretty uh, simple. Uh, I started reporting in New York in the early 1960s. And uh, strangely enough, my first assignment was education news. Why Johnny can't read, school strikes, teacher strikes. But as an example of what happened while covering education, was an example of what was going on in New York at that time, that almost every stone that you turned up, mm. there was a mob, a mafia, or Cosa Nostra angle. Mm. As an example, uh, in the early 1960s, when I was a rookie reporter, there was a major school construction scandal, had a lot of cheating and overcharging, and I started poking into it. And it wasn't just the contractors. It turned out that organized crime had a big hand in this. They were the secret partners of most of the construction companies, which had a monopoly for school construction and repairs. And that was just one example. Another example was when there were complaints in the uh, housing, New York City Housing Authority about mm. lousy uh, repairs, also paint peeling. When you looked into that, again, it was a mob-controlled union. Another example was that uh, handicapped, 
about parking permits. Uh, another reporter and I looked into that, and sure enough, almost every big shot mafia also was getting a, a parking permit. So it permeated everything that you did as a reporter. And the press, for the most part at that time, the media in New York, and the country for the most part also, was uninterested. They looked upon the mafia simply as part of the culture, you know, as part of the, what, what went on in the city, and that it didn't concern anybody. If there was the occasional hit, murder, or scandal, that was okay. And the editors, everybody neglected it. As an example on that school construction uh, uh, scandal, when I went to City Hall to talk to various people, including deputy mayors, I said, you've gone after the people who work for the Board of Education and some of the contractors, but what about the mob figures behind them? And they just would shoo-shoo me. They said, we don't want to have any problems. If we did that, we would have no construction at all in the city. Amazing. It was an example of how they were a secret empire. When you say secret empire, you know... All of us look the other way. Even the police department. I have to. I have to mention that because, uh, which we you know, you hear it over and over again. They only kill each other. They're not mugging anybody, raping anybody, or innocent, not stealing pocketbooks or gold chains. They're killing each other. But uh, you know, you talk about how they, aside from the housing authority, uh, how they, the gambling, the loan sharking, all the labor uh, labor unions, and. Uh, the garment district. They, they were involved in almost everything, but you could you, touch. the garment what? district, the Fulton Fish Market, Fulton the Fish Market, obviously, industry, yeah, everything. And the point was very simply: they control them. They control the politicians. Uh-huh. I mean, as an example, see, uh, Tammany Hall was still kicking in that area, still around. And uh, if you wanted to get a serious nomination on the Democratic Party, then you had to clear out some of the major mob bosses. Wow. There was one year. Uh, in the Democratic primary, uh, mayor, Impelitari, I don't know if you, we go back. Impelitari, you were going to say. This, up, this was in the 1950s. Yes. Where both the Lucchese family and the, uh, and the uh, Genovese family had a separate candidate. They couldn't lose whoever got the nomination. Wow. That's, uh, uh amazing. I want to, you know, I want to just, you, you touched something before. You said the housing authority. Wasn't there a major scandal? where there were kickbacks to the to some group, I think it was a Lucchese family, where they were getting 25 cents a window. Oh, that was many years later. That I'm was years later. This okay. was in the uh, primitive days. Yeah, that's great, going way back from the beginning. But that but, was in the 80s and the 90s. That but, was uh, zillions, hundreds uh, of millions of dollars involving four of the five families getting had a, a mm. piece of every window that was installed, millions of windows yes, that house- were installed in the uh, housing authority uh, projects throughout the, throughout the, the city. They wanted better windows to uh, ensure that it wouldn't be, wouldn't be as cold in the winter. They were frost-proof <laughs> windows. But, but the they point, controlled the yeah. entire industry. But the point is it, it didn't end. It was up, up to, uh, that's recent pretty much, correct? It, it goes no, away. no, that was in the, No, when I say recent, when I say recent, it also included uh, 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 Vincent Chin Giganti. Correct. He was one of the ringleaders of that. But that, uh, what I was talking about in the housing authority, this is when they controlled the major unions that did all the repairs. Wow. I'm talking about the 60s and the 70s. Well, that's what I meant. Days. That's what I meant when I said it's recent compared to what you were talking about, 60s and 70s, right? Oh, but they yes. still have, I mean, again, part of this was their infiltration of so many important unions in New York. I mean, you couldn't get it. I mean, whether it was 
the Teamsters, the Carpenters. Uh, it's well recorded. But the, the problem for many years was that nobody wanted to tackle them. Why is that? Well, well part of it is, very simply, uh, the big cities, and this is not just New York, were controlled by, even whether it was Democrats or Republicans, the mob had influence mm. in those city halls. Also, probably the biggest culprit of all was J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, Hoover refused them for decades. Uh, he was a one-man publicity agency with a single client himself. But for half a century, he refused to tackle the mob because he, cite, he thought it might be too dangerous, that he might lose cases, it might tarnish the, tarnish the reputation. One of the things Hoover was worried about, uh, it would be hard cases, undercover cases, he thought there might be payoffs, briberies. Uh, the same way he didn't want to do anything with drugs because there was too much money. And he went after, he, simply he went after uh, easy targets. Communists. Uh, in the uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s, what he considered left-wingers. Yeah. And then he, uh, he puffed up crime statistics by concentrating on easy-to-capture uh, auto and theft rings. I mean, there used to be a joke, you've probably heard this, that Hoover's obsession with car thieves, because he was big on breaking up in, interstate car theft. Oh, it was some, someday would lead to the logo for the uh, FBI standing, but FBI would be fan belt inspectors. Oh, and they, there were a lot of detectives who knew a lot, including in New York, who used to refer to the FBI, and their initials were really famous but incompetent. Yeah. Well, I mean, this changed in the 80s. And the 90s, after yeah, but we died. can go back like the Bonanno family. You go back to the uh, late 1800s, and, and actually, and the Gambino as well. Most of them go back to the late. So it's not. It's really not aside from 20s and 30s and 40s and to the present time. Well, yeah, they go back the, to the, the time. The mafia, yeah. the one that still exists today. Uh, they don't. They had that one business genius that was Salvatore Lucky Luciano. Yes. Now he created the modern mafia. Including the five families. He made the corporation, right? He won. Well, what he did was he stopped the internal wars, and he he modeled it pretty much on what was had got had been the uh, uh, system in Sicily. But the point was he created this whole idea and the framework how the families would exist and how they would prosper. And also he created the commission, the idea that if there was any inter-rivalries. It would be resolved by the commission, which was basically the five families from New York, the most powerful families in the country. So the point was, yes, there had been Italian-American criminals, same way there were Jewish-American, Irish-American right. criminals. Right. But the difference was that all the other ethnic gangs, for the most part, they revolved about one person. You took out the leader of that family, and they disintegrated. They were lost. They didn't have a, a, a basis for operation. And one of the, again, the idea behind Lucky Luciano's idea was that the family was paramount, not the individual, and that parts were replaceable. So the point was that they continued. A, 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 a boss or a father could die. Somebody important could get convicted. But the family went on. Right. And, and, and interesting enough that they, when they had their meetings, it was always New York, right, the five families? No, well, most of them, yes. Most of them? Most of the big commission meetings. The commission meetings that, that he formed. It was the famous one at Appalachian. Oh, Appalachian, yes, yes. Which failed. That no, was funny. That was a comedy. Different places. That was a comedy. New York family.
families were the dominant. They were always members. And the other families, perhaps from Chicago or Buffalo or Kansas yeah. City, they'd be allowed to sit on the, on the commission, but only at the grace and at the, at the, at the authority of the members of the five families in New York. And uh, in the last 20 or 30 years, it was only New York. Nothing else counted. Now, do you, so if it was not for Lucchese, or actually it's pronounced Lucchese, he, the, uh, there would be more murders, and uh, he pretty much brought them together uh, and created this, like, corporate structure, right? And this way, they, and, and they somehow they uh, they were open to it. Well, it was Luciano. Yes. Not, uh, not uh, it was Lucchese. Was, uh, oh, not Lucchese. I meant, yes, Lucky Luciani, I should have mentioned. Lucky yes, and, uh, yes, he, well, yeah, Lucky. It yeah, wasn't... No, it wasn't, wasn't Lucchese. Lucchese. He came yeah. along in the 40s. Yeah, that's right. He came on much uh, much later. And I, if I'm thinking about it, uh, with Lucky Luciana, you know, all the things he was involved in, isn't it true? They, you know, they, they wanted to get him, so he was locked up as some prostitution charge. Yeah, they got him on a charge, which a lot of uh, investigators and lawyers later thought he was framed. They got mm. the raw, right guy for the wrong crime. Right, in right. In fact, uh, I, interv- I listened to some interviews with... Uh, Tom Dooley was a special prosecutor in New York. Correct. And he went after Lucchese. He went after Lucky because Lucky was very famous and celebrated. He lived in the Waldorf Astoria Towers. He was, you know, he was considered the uh, probably the, the biggest mobster. Although uh, Dooley knew very little about the mafia, but he knew about uh, and it was it was actually he was looking at something else. It was one of those quirks, you know, as a detective. He was looking at uh, some court corruption. Uh, they had then had a court for, uh, for prostitutes, a special court, and they noticed there was something peculiar about cases. And they started looking into that, and they came across something called the Combine. We're talking now about the, in the mid-1930s, the old, very old days. And what happened was they, they started rounding up some people who were involved in this sort of citywide prostitution rings. They were giving kickbacks, no question. They were giving kickbacks to Lucky's family. Mm. And they made some raids, and they got some people to talk and claim, uh, and the evidence was really very flimsy. I mean, it was hard to believe that Lucky was up in the, in the Waldorf Astoria Towers <laughs> and that he would have a, one of these prostitutes or a madam or some low-level figure there. Yeah. And they would all hear him talking about business. I mean, it just didn't make any sense. And a lot of uh, detectives I, I met, frankly, through a, uh, in, in the 60s and the 70s who knew a little bit and had been around, thought the evidence was really very flimsy and that he was framed. Don't you think, speaking of that, not to change, uh, in, in, when they got John Gotti, I mean, they, they got him the wrong way, I think. They got him on somebody who had the worst credibility in the world, and that's how they convicted him. Isn't it it's because Sammy, Sammy Bulgrimano? Yes, but, but now, but if they want you, but anyway, they but had they, enough on the tapes. They did, but and, but but the where it came from, the, the credibility of the witness, he, he admitted nineteen homicides himself. But what I'm saying is, if they want you, they will get you. In Lucky's case, they found something to bag him on. Is would that be the reason? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Well, in other words, in Lucky Luciani's uh, case, they wanted him for so many different things. You know, but well, they f- it, part of it was Dewey was trying to say, it made Dewey's reputation. I mean, he became a gangbuster because he got, that was the first 
big case that, that he was, handled. Yeah, in fact, they, they did a movie of it. Yeah, well, they, did. they made a movie. He became, yeah. he became the governor. He and he almost became, almost, be, almost became, almost became, almost became the governor. He ran for president twice. Almost made it for president. And Humphrey Bogart played him in the Correct. movie. Correct. Very good. That's it. <laughs> I mean, they cleaned it up a bit. But the point very simply, listen, you are, you're on the other end. You know that sometimes uh, police or prosecutors, mm. they got the guy, they've got to get him on something. That's exactly what I meant. That point. So they might, uh, you know, you might uh, soften up a witness or you made a promise. But they would have had Gotti. Gotti was doomed, you know, because Gotti was the worst thing that ever happened to the Gambino family. I think so. He single-handedly almost ruined that yes. family. Yeah. If the FBI had wanted to choose somebody to be the boss of the Gambino family, they couldn't have picked a better prospect than John Gotti. Yeah. I mean, he had all of He made every possible mistake. He gave the FBI because he, he, he summoned everybody had to come and kiss his hand every other week. Mm. The FBI, by, by surveilling what was going on at the Ravenite Club in uh, Little Italy, found out about all sorts of people that had the vaguest idea they were in any way connected to organized crime. And then he shot his mouth off. Yes. He thought he was speaking safely in an apartment yep. over the Ravenite Club. Yep. The apartment was bugged. It was bugged because uh, it was Thanksgiving, I think, and she was with the family, the lady who Lisa never Belli, left uh, never uh, left her apartment, correct? Yeah, on the third floor above the uh, Ravenite. They were able to get in because she went away. That's right. She went away with the family for the holiday, and that was the only time they could get in there because she was there 24 hours, seven days a week. And no, you know, he helped them, too. Why? Mm. People didn't realize Gotti was deaf in one ear. So, like, a lot of mobsters ah. were talking would play the radio or their TV right. and somehow drown out the sound the way they did in the Ravenite Club. Yeah. But he wanted to hear it clearly so he, he wouldn't have any uh, TV or radio, any anything on, any ambient sound that would interrupt uh, his hearing. Uh, and that gave him terrific uh, tapes. Yeah, he was overrated. He was the less, I have to say, he was not bright at all. And also, I mean, by posing for the press and what he did, he loved publicity. He did. He loved it. He loved John Miller. Speaking of uh, reporters, right? Well, he sort of he, he gave John Miller a lot of uh, you know a lot John, of things he to loved, print. He loved the TV reporters, yeah. but he loved the women reporters more than anything else. Yeah. When he was on trial before, uh, you know, he was convicted on the federal charges. Uh, he was on trial for in Manhattan and also in the Queens. He would have these coffee clutches during intermissions, but he always offered coffee. Espresso to the women reports and held the doors open to them. But for the most part, I mean, my encounters with him were, right. uh, you know, get out of the way, kid. Yeah, 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 I guess so. Yeah, I, I could imagine. Now, you, you know, you talked about the resurgence. You, I, I think it's gone. I, I don't think, you know, I don't think it could be like it was in the people with Banana, Colombo, and Gabino, and Lucchese. And, oh, uh, you're right about that. But the only but, difference is uh, the mom, mob in New York has reinvented itself. And uh, like today, the Gambino family is run by people who used to be known as Zips, of Italian course. immigrants. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. From Italy and Sic mainly Sicily. Right. And what's happened <laughs> is, as you probably notice, you think that, first of all, on a national basis, they're still around in New York, Philadelphia, Florida, on the East Coast, and in Chicago. Because those were where the biggest and most powerful families were. No question, because there was only one single family in places like Kansas City, Detroit, Milwaukee, mm. 
um, L.A., San Francisco, it was easy. If you took out one family, when the FBI had its big national campaign starting in the 80s, you took out the mob for the most part. Yeah. You've got a lot of has-beens and old-timers, but but all you had to do was eradicate one family in most cities. In New York, you were five large families with connections all over the country. So they're still around. As one example, they've reinvented themselves this way. First of all, when's the last time you heard about a big mob hit in New York? You can't remember one. You know why? Because very simply, they know hits bring headlines. Right. And the word is out. You settle things differently. And they've also incorporated another thing to try to stop squealers or, or um, anybody informers. Right. Adapted a policy that was that's always been present in Sicily, and that uh, previously, until about the last decade, what were known as civilians, anybody who was in the who was related to a mobster, but right. was not a made guy, was immune from anything that mobster might do. They have passed the word along now that if you become a rat, it's not just you we're going to go after. We're going to go after everybody in, in your immediate family. Right. So that's put a, a muzzle on a lot of people, and they know they aren't going to do this. Hmm. So look around. When's the last time, I repeat, when you heard about a big mafia? Well, you, you know what? You, you know, obviously, of course. But the thing is, the, the assumption was they're not like they used to be in the old days. That's why, you know. In other words, they're they gone. Knocked out of a lot of the unions and a lot of things like the garment yeah, center, right. uh, the Fulton Market, which doesn't exist anymore. Garbage, no question. But the best way to describe them is that they're wounded severely, right. but not mortally. So. Yeah. And they've reinvented themselves in this way. Remember, the bread and butter of the mafia. Most people don't understand this has always been illegal gambling. Gambling and a symbiotic operation known as loan sharking. Right. You get in trouble with a bookie, and he's also a loan shark. Correct. And he's a mob guy, so you have yes. to pay. So they still do that, and they, like everything else, they've always been a carbon copy of capitalism, American capitalism. And they're doing internet gambling. That is one of the big things they're involved in today. Wow, that's what I meant when I said they're more like a corporation than they were. But know? if you speak to people, they're still they're still active on the New Jersey waterfront. The Genovese family yeah. is still around. They're still active in to, they're still uh, in many unions. They even listen after nine eleven, they yes. were still active in corruption at uh, at, the, at the World Trade Center. The cleanups, what? Yeah, the cleanups. What are the right. groups? Profits from the tragedy of 9/11. I know that they were shaking down companies that were holding debris away from the uh, grave sites at the WTC, and another family was uh, stealing scrap metal uh, from the twin towers that were removed at the fresh kills in Staten Island. So they don't they don't miss an opportunity. Uh, Absolutely, they were waiting in the wings. (laughs) That's the other thing. 9/11 was a reprieve. The FBI and uh, in New York. Uh, combined with the uh, police department, had almost, I think, 600 investigators looking into the mob. Right. And now, you know, and and, uh, and obviously why, I mean, thankfully so, uh, internal security and, and uh, is the most important thing for the FBI. That so was, they reduced that was today. the focus, yes. Combined squads are less than 50 people. 
So you know if you don't have anybody to, who's out there trying to make cases, you're not going to make them. Yeah, the, the focus switch, like you said, to worrying about terrorism. Terrorism is a, is a priority. The became, mob, yep. until about 2011 or 2001, uh, was a number one or two priority. Wow. Yeah, so you think the, you still obviously Sicily and Palermo is one of the, the areas where the Black Hand was born. So uh, you think they're still pulling the strings there, like you mentioned? Going well, no. Listen, you've got to first of all, you could not be a member of both uh, either the Sicilian Mafia or the American Mafia. They were totally separate. Right. Best American Mafia was modeled on a lot of things that uh, were created in Sicily. Right. Uh, but you can't be a member of both. They work in cohesion. Now, one of the worst things, one of the biggest scandals was uh, Joe Bonanno uh, was worried about a new drug law. This was in the 1950s. And it was the mob that introduced the scourge of heroin into the big cities because the Sicilian mafia in the mid-50s was very big into heroin. And they were looking for another market. They were looking for the U.S. But Bonanno and the other, uh, many of the other uh, Mob yeah. bosses at the time. They were against it, right? Well, they weren't really against it. They wanted a profit from it. Uh-huh. But the problem was, there was, there was, it, the mob, uh, drug laws were the toughest laws in the 1950s before RICO, the Racketeer Influenced Corrupt Organizations Act. The only way anybody could get a, a law, a, a long sentence was on a, was on a drug bust. So the mob was looking how to handle this and still profit from it. So Bonanno made a deal with the Sicilian Mafia that they would import the um, heroin into the big cities in America. But, and they would run what was later known as the pizza con- connection case. They opened all these pizza stores, oh, which were really fronts. Fronts, yeah, I know. Heroin. <laughs> and the idea was the American Mafia knew where they could introduce it and how to do it. They gave them some ideas, and they knew how to take care of the cops and the DEA if necessary. So they taught, they didn't actually handle it, but what they got was a commission. So it was the best of both worlds. But what they did was they put out before, before the mid, late 50s and early 60s, you know, heroin was not a big problem, in America, and no. certainly not in New York. No. You no, know, show business people, rich people. But they introduced it thanks to the mafia into the big cities, oh. into the inner cities. Oh, amazing. But, they you know, made the nickel and dime bags that didn't exist before. Well, you know, speaking of resurgence, that's coming back, the heroin out there. Well, it's also the mob now into, uh, uh, into you know, opiates. Yeah, uh, opiates. I mean, yeah. They, they made some cases against them involving, uh, was it um, uh, hydrocordium? Uh, hydrocodone, hydrocodone, uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, yes. the other drugs. So they, I mean, again, if yeah. it's if it's something that's working, if it's credit cards, they'll take the mob will take advantage of credit cards. Amazing. If it's opiates, they'll take advantage of opiates. Mm. That's how they operate. Wow. Uh, my guess is so. In uh, Rab, uh, Rab, uh, five families is the book. Uh, by Amazon, if not mistaken, and uh, investigative reporter, great investigative reporter. I want to just uh, mention something that it's uh, close to me. Now, my late partner, he was uh, not like the, the, the cops today that pretty much come from all, uh, Long Island young kids, pretty much, predominantly. You know, very few, like uh, in my time, the police officers really came from the neighborhoods that they that they were born in. Like my late partner was born, uh, raised in East New York, which was uh, Murder Incorporated. 
Yeah, well, obviously you know about that. You know, and then I was born and raised in the Lower East Side. So, and yet, of course, we we had a choice, which you know most times you do, and we picked the right choice. So we're more familiar with what goes on. The problem today in the police department is these young kids don't have a clue. And so how would they know about mafia? How would they know about Cosa Nostra? How would they know about that? You know, they just really don't. So the the police itself is, you know, know, is is not what it used to be. But again, the mob, I think, is not what it used to be. And the FBI is not what it used to be as well. Well, again, uh, I... You know more about the police department than I do. But the FBI just, listen, the FBI is pretty effective. And uh, when they finally figured out how to deal with the mafia, you know, and they how to use the RICO law, which yes. was effective. Right. But they did a great job. But again, if you don't have the resources, if people aren't working cases, same thing with prosecutors, yeah. you're not going to make it. So you've given them, again, it's a reprieve. They've gotten... 9-11 was the best news that could have happened to them. Yeah, it's true. It, it took Again, a they, they're weak in the rest of the, the rest of the country except for Chicago, but they're strong on the East Coast. Yeah. My friend Rudy Giuliani, that's what he used, the RICO law on a lot of process, uh, that's prosecutions. That's right. He got commission case. He didn't prosecute it himself. No, I know. But, yes, he didn't prosecute RICO, himself. RICO was a, was a game change because RICO, for the first time, it was very – you could not get – the higher-ups, the bosses, the consigliere, the underbosses, the capos, because they didn't pull a trigger. They didn't strangle anybody. They didn't shake anybody down, but they were getting the proceeds. And it was very hard to get them on a conspiracy charge. But what RICO did was it said as long as you're a member and you have some knowledge right. of an organization, that's enough to convict you. And if they could find you're the boss, it's a life sentence. I mean, it was tested, and the Supreme Court upheld it. But that was the big game change. It was a big, it was a benefit. And it took the FBI and the prosecutors 10 years. That law was passed in 1970 by a brilliant lawyer by the name of uh, Bob Blakey, a professor, later a professor at Notre Dame. And he had to go around the country proselytizing, trying to convince people and uh, FBI agents and uh, also uh, prosecutors. Now, one of the things that helped was Hoover was gone, and there were people at the FBI, and there was a new breed. There was a breed of people at the FBI, who, many of them Italian-Americans. Right. And Vietnam vets who understood this. Now, Hoover would penalize anybody who tried to investigate organized crime. He mm. didn't want to touch it because he knew it was a problem, and he knew it could resort against him. One of the ways, since the uh, mafia had so much influence in big cities, and big city political parties, every time he would go, if he started making arrests concerning mafiosi and uh, their political partners, he would endanger political empires. At the same time, he was a pendant. He always got more money than any other law enforcement agency when he went before Congress. So it was a political game for him. He knew enough about it. He had bugged a lot of mafia guys. He only used it for intelligence purposes and to blackmail people. But he never used it to make not one big case made by J. Edgar Hoover against the mafia when he was the when he was the head of the mafia, the FBI. Right. When Amazing. he was the director, you can't see, you can't find a single case, even denied the existence. Yet he's got the tremendous name recognition, J. Edgar Hoover, 
and there's an institute and a museum named after him, but we uh, pretty much know the real J. Edgar Hoover. But, you know, most people were like that in those days, even law. There were only uh, a few figures in law enforcement that would really do what they were supposed to do, you know, what we expected them to do. And um, a lot of it had to do, you just mentioned, the political uh, part of it. You know, cause, uh, we could, I mean, there, there's books out now, what is it, the, uh, the, uh, my God, the, the uh, Jeb, and the Bush crime family, uh, Hillary and Bill Clinton crime family. I mean, they're, they're considered sort of crime families to a degree, you know. But yeah. uh, but those are different books by different people. That's, that's, you're talking about political Political, influence. I know, I know. About, uh, but look, so, the, the problem with the mafia for many years was they were affecting everybody, all these hidden taxes. Right. They ran the garment center. Anytime you bought a, a garment anywhere in the country, you were paying a tax. Yeah. You were paying a tax on that if you were a store owner in New York, whether you were small or whether you were Macy's, for somebody to pick up your garbage. No, I know the private sanitation. And the unions, what they did with the unions on construction, they charged because the, the only 5 or 10% that they were getting for their swag on every major skyscraper that went up in New York, and every almost every building, whether it was residential or uh, commercial, uh, you were paying a higher rent, or you were paying higher. Uh, store owners were paying more, you know, just to occupy a store. Right. So they they were they were all over, and there was this hidden empire. But the, I don't think they were all over like you just mentioned now today. I think that's changed. I can't see them being like they were. You know, with those other families, like you said, they do it differently. But I, I don't see them having that strength or power. But you would don't. Call... They don't. They've been knocked out of the union. Yeah. But they're waiting to get back. And one of the things they've done on the waterfront, if you see some of the cases made in the last ten years, it's been people like that. You notice that uh, Vincent Chin Giganti's son was arrested. Yes. Yeah, did. on a on a corruption charge on the waterfront. Mm. But what was he doing? He was doing it was to the management companies. They weren't doing it through the unions anymore because the union, you know, unions for the right reasons, the unions are, are policed more carefully. Wow. You know, you, talk, you mentioned the waterfall. When I was a kid, 15, 16, we could go down to the docks and shape up. And if you didn't give a couple of bucks to someone down there, you, would, you wouldn't work that day if you're looking for the extra money. You know, on the waterfront, that was all run by one by. It the, was all the ILA was uh, mobbed up. Yeah, it was all down there, and they, you know, and they would say, "Hey, kid, you got to give that guy three bucks or five dollars. He wanted work for today." You know, so I mean, that's and you know, and they ran the show pretty much. And but they ran the food and fish market. They built for years, and, and they, they, they ran the garment center. Your garment, no, 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 there's a little controversy, you know, with the Rudy Giuliani went after the Fulton Fish Market, then they moved up to Hunts Point uh, Market or something, right? Right. But, uh, so, yeah, well, let me give you an example right. of, of their power in the construction industry. Rudy Giuliani did a great job uh, in the Fulton Fish Market and right. also in garbage hauling, mm. you know, private garbage yes, hauling, because he private. set up commissions that would investigate who worked there and whether or not you had a background or was anything to, that would keep you out from corruption. When he, tr he tried as mayor to tackle the construction industry, this was back in the 80s, and, I mean early 90s, he tried to, and he could not get the bill passed through the city council. The construction industry, again, uh, was immune, and for a variety of reasons. They didn't want any kind of you know, tight uh, supervision or policing of uh, contractors or developers, and the use and the construction use. So that was. If you read Five Families, I explain what happened. But there's an example. Rudy, that at that time was America's 
leading gangbuster, but he couldn't get that thing to a city council. It's, it's I mean, sad. He could, could tackle the food fish it, market, he yep. could tackle the garbage industry, but not the construction industry because you, it was silly. You, you, you know it's so funny how they infiltrated city government, and, and that, that was really bothering Rudy because and when I ran the Sheriff's Department in the city of New York, I had to talk about myself, but it's connected to what we're talking about. The Civilian Union, I had to deal with them that represented not my deputies, but the civilian employees, leaving my secretary. And I found myself meeting in the union office downtown. I felt so awkward that I had to get up and walk out because I knew who they were and what they were. And the mob connected, and here they are representing New York City civil service employees. And I says, well, this ain't for me. You know, I just can't deal with these people. And they, they got, you know, there was no communication with me and them because I couldn't want to sit and talk to them. Cause, but a lot of them, by the way, they, they went to jail, if you recall. That had no, Listen, uh, even the newspaper industry was not immune because mm. the uh, uh, some of the unions in the press, in the uh, press, in the uh, not the newspaper guild, not the writers, right. but we weren't important enough. But they had some of the craft unions. Amazing. You, you know, I bought the Daily News and New York Times, and, and especially at the New York Post. <laughs> Just the Banano family ran the New York Post press room. Wow, it's amazing. You know, you got you got it all down. Yeah, all of it is documented. I'm not uh, giving you something up to no, top no, of no. my head. No, no, no. Hey, listen, you you would have been a great first grade uh, detective. You, well, actually, you sound like you when you you research and all. Right, it's if you get tremendous. reporters subpoena power, we'd be terrific. Oh my God, that's what that's they. That's the one yes. thing we don't have. We need. Yes, you know. I told that to prosecutors. Uh, yeah, well, you know they. Uh, uh, attorneys could use people like you, you know, that hire private investigators that use people like Again, you. Again, listen, I have to acknowledge, you know, even the Times wouldn't was was wary about newspapers. When I wrote stories mm. concerning uh, the mob in newspapers, the Times was very reluctant to run them. Well, you know, the old the old unwritten law. You know, years ago, you could, as far as the mob is concerned, you never, you don't, you don't kill a police officer, you don't kill a reporter. Correct? That was the unwritten law in, in, at that time. In our younger days, uh, Lou, that was true. But you know, that's changed. That's changed. Of course. You remember yes. Gaspipe, Anthony Gaspipe Casso? Yes. He, had, he put out contracts on prosecutors, on judges, mm. uh, and so did Carmine the Snake Persico. 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 I mean, they did. Yeah. I mean, you're talking now that's about changed. the 80s and the 90s. These, that was a whole new element. You're not talking about... The old time is the mustache well, and heat who yeah. came up in the 50s and 60s. That's and what I meant, the change. It's a completely different breed. Yeah, of, they didn't uh, kill anybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but this new group in now is much more careful. We're talking about, you know, after the commission case, you had all these newcomers. Right. The commission case was 85, 86. So you had different fam different bosses in each family. It was wow. It was a revolution. But they were all young people. Uh, unexperienced, inexperienced, a whole new element. They weren't, you know, Paul Castellano. The only one who was really around that was smart was uh, Vincent Chin. Giganti. Yeah. And he was actually much more powerful and influential and lasted, you know, with his crazy act. It was crazy. Much longer than John Gotti. Absolutely. Everybody thought John Gotti was a boss of bosses. He wasn't. Yeah. It was a, it was a Vincent Chin Giganti. Yeah, I think he, uh, did he, he owned it that, uh, Club down, and oh my god, somebody will call in and remind me. He owned the, uh, opened up that, uh, Stonewall, uh, uh, 
in the, the village where they had that controversial Cuomo game. The Cuomo the riots. Was shaking down all the that was, bars. I think, wasn't that his place, uh, Jim? I don't think it was. It was might have been Genovese, but he wasn't running the, the oh, family. Oh, okay. I that, that was before his time. I thought the chin had something to do with the stone. No, well, he, no he, that wasn't the chin. But the point was, uh, all the gay bars, when, when, you know, presumably they were illegal. Yes. And they would have right. shakedowns by the police. Right. So the point was, very simply, uh, they, they were very profitable. It was like the uh, topless clubs in Times Square. Yeah, right. I mean, and the pornography industry was also part of the mob's empire. Well, you know, Rudy, Rudy cleaned that up. I know it because I was standing on the corner with him. But what's on Times Square, all the porn, uh, pedophilia, the drugs. Because right. the people forget, it's not the police department that closes them down. It's the sheriff's department. And that was our function. Because this starts off civilly, and then when you go into the place, of course, you find everything based on the... Uh, well, know, there, was, there was another reason that the uh, porno industry died, Lou, uh, and that was also because you could get it for free on TV. <laughs> Very good. You can get it on your iPhone. It comes up on your iPhone, your cell phone. Yeah, they put that, I mean, the whole business changed. So, I have my uh, engineer. I don't know what he's looking on on his iPhone while he's there. You know, I to take a sneak look, you know. <laughs> he's turning red, so I don't know what he's watching. You know? Right. It's, it's all over the place. But you know something? We talked about mafia, mafiosa, but the beginning of it, and the reason why I'm talking about it, because I can relate to it, because I mentioned the Lower East Side, uh, Lieutenant Joe, Patricino. You heard of him, obviously. Oh, no, Joe yeah, and, and then we're going back to the early 1900s. He went after them uh, because they yes, were coming. Well, he goes back before 1900. He goes back to late, uh, 1899. He started right? in uh, Leak it out. Wasn't that supposed no, to be? No, let me tell you the story. Yeah. Very simply, there was a guy by the name of Theodore Ted Bingham. He was a police commissioner in the early part of uh, the 20th century. Right. And there was a law passed uh, in the early part of the 20th century. First of all, uh, Petrosino had done a terrific job. He had made almost 500 uh, arrests. I mean, you know, he had done something that the English, the, the American cops wouldn't have had any idea. There was almost a, a million, more than a million Italian immigrants living in the city. Yeah. So it just shows you the extent. And nobody was really doing anything about that. So in any mm-hmm. event, uh, he created this thing called the, uh, he had about 25 members in his unit. It was known as the Italian squad. And they were still, uh, they were still very basic, basic racists. Whenever they wanted something from him, they would say, uh, get the dago. 
I know. When they wanted a case involving Italians. And that just shows you how they, you know, what he was up against. Anyway, there was a law, a congressional law passed uh, around 1908 or 1909, which said that any alien, any immigrant who had... uh, not reported that he had a criminal record before he emigrated to the U.S. could be deported immediately. So this guy, this police commissioner, Bingham, sent Petrosino to Italy and to Sicily, where he wanted him to dig up. He had enough records on people he suspected of being criminals in America who had backgrounds in Italy and Sicily. So I could send them back. uh, Petrosino went to Italy, and he was picking up information. And then he went to to uh, Sicily, to Palermo. Yeah. But in the interim, Bingham, the police commissioner, had leaked it to a reporter yes. that he was on a special assignment. And the mafia bosses in Sicily got a hold of it, read about it. So his first day in Palermo, his first day, he was standing near a statue of Garibaldi, Italian you know, a hero right. who was in charge of the unification, who was one of the heroes of the unification of Italy and Sicily. He was standing there in the Piazza Marina. There's still a statue of Garibaldi there, the beautiful area of Palermo. And before he could get anything done, two hitmen shot him in the head wow. and killed him. He was the first, I think, and only... The only he's the only police officer, New York police, ever killed on an overseas assignment. I know, on duty. He was, yeah, yes. and you know, you know, again, to show you all the ironies, uh, I think there was like 300,000 people who attended his funeral. Yeah. And it was still down in Lower Manhattan, the old police headquarters, you know, on uh, Broom and Grand yeah. uh, Center Street. And, and because he was so popular, years later, they created this little park, this parklet, Nearby, uh, called Petrosino, uh, Petrosino Square. There's this little statue of him down there, too. No, it's no statue. There's a plaque. A plaque, a plaque. I know it's, it's no, a, one of the his name. Yeah, it's a plaque. When I'm the sorry. mob was riding high, even in the 70s, 80s, into the 90s, right across the street from his um, square, on his square, and uh, across from his park, there was a restaurant known as La Dona Rosa. Ooh. And it was run by, you know who? The acting boss of the Lucchese family, Al Darko. So amazing. And they were holding meetings there. So it shows you how they, you know, 50 years later, 60 yeah. years later. <laughs> poor were, guy. Poor, uh, poor Lieutenant Petrosi that could not rest in peace. <laughs> right. Well, but anyway, but, uh, yeah. frankly, they finally, uh, you know, resurrected that park. Yes. It was really shabby. That's about a, five years ago. Uh, right? Well, I did. That hasn't been taken care of. You know, it's, it's, yeah, nobody even knows it's a park. You know, you can you pass it. You can't even. Nobody. Yeah, it was squalid and it was run down and benches were broken. Yeah, it's just not taken care of. It's, it uh, is now. They really. They yeah. picked it up by, partly because it's part of Soho and it's uh, there's yeah. a lot of commercial stuff going on down there. It is. That's exactly. It's, uh, my guess is uh, so and Ray up and then. And the book is The Five Families. Now, your other book, did you do with Mob Attorney? Was that your, who was your no, book? No, with Frank Regano. He was with the, him together, right? Uh, we, Frank Regano was the lawyer for uh, uh, Traficante. Uh, mm. What's his name? Uh, Traficante and Jimmy Hoffa. Traficante was the uh, boss, uh, Florida mob boss for many years. Wow. And uh, he was also, uh, Regano was his lawyer. He represented uh, major mobsters and also... He was a conduit. He finally came clean about, he used to run, uh, 
all the information between the mob in Florida and uh, Jimmy Hoffa when he was the head of the uh, Teamsters. When all the deals and all the phony contracts and how they were raping the, uh, the, the Teamsters' um, oh, you know, social welfare funds, they're getting uh, loans for mob, mob projects and also in Vegas. Speaking of mob attorneys, what happened to Bruce Cutler? Where is he now? Uh, <laughs> I, Bruce is very quiet. He hasn't been hurt from a year. Absolutely. Since he years. got since he got knocked off the case representing John Gotti. I haven't Gotti. heard from him in you know, uh, He was still big around 10 years ago. Absolutely, I don't yeah. not much about him anymore. He was, but yeah, that's why I'm saying that so many uh, different things changed. Hey, uh, Selwyn Rep, what happened to Jimmy Hoffa since you brought it up? Well, you know, well, I, I wrote about it. Um, I know. Santo Traficante on his deathbed. Uh, according to Frank Regano, his lawyer, made a confession about what had happened. He didn't know where the body was buried, uh, but he said it was a mistake. They really should have killed, instead of killing John F. K. Well, K. That was, he was talking about Kennedy's assassination. The Kennedy's, yeah. He gave him a deathbed confession about the mob's involvement, and, uh, which I don't, frankly, neither Frank Regano or I buy. You don't uh, buy we, both of us don't think the mob was... Involved, although people in, like Trump either candidate. Okay, you don't think that either candidate the mob was involved? Oh, in, I don't. I think I it's one nut. Yes, head case. That's what I believe. Yeah, I was one nut, and yeah. uh, I mean, it, it, I go into it deeply in uh, in mob lawyer. In mob lawyer, I know the conspirators. Uh, you know, they have all the different theories. Well, I, we just it, head case. The reason, the, head you know, case. the reason they killed Hoffa was Hoffa had gotten had bribed his way out of prison with a million dollar. A contribution to Richard Nixon's second presidential campaign. Oh campaign. Gee, gee, and uh, <laughs> he was out and he was trying to make a comeback in the union and the mob didn't want him. No, they didn't so want him back. Him he, no he, wanted, he wanted to come back and that, that was it. That's right. They didn't want him. That's right. They, didn't, yeah, they, had, they had somebody else who they were much happier with and wasn't giving him a problem and they thought uh, Hopper was, had become a, you know, a, bit of, a bit crazy. Yeah. So he had to go. He had to go. Now you have you have you have a book that's coming out. Uh, another book in regard to the continuation of the five families. No, I just uh, I updated it last. Updated, year. I should say. The yes. The anniversary edition, which mm. goes into the current state of the mob. Of course, when I wrote the book, the original book, and it was published in '06, it was oh. quite different from what exists today. So I and I've gone into the reasons of the uh, mafia, certainly in New York has reinvented itself and uh, right. things we discussed earlier about how they're, you know, they're keeping a lower profile. Uh, they're much more careful about recruits. Uh, they're, they're much reduced in numbers and they're much reduced in power, but they're still out there. Well, you know, the old timers, uh, you know, the old timers were very low key also, you know, uh, uh, the one like John Gotti, flamboyant, flamboyant, like you mentioned, who loved, who loved being out there. You know, you, you could walk by, and I was a young kid walking by Mulberry Street the clubs. The clubs. And, and then I was walking down, my father and I saw this little old guy with a, with a hat on, uh, not a baseball cap, but the caps they used to wear. His sleeves rolled up with a garter belt. He looked like he was, to me at that time, 90 years old, smoking the, the noble cigar. And walking by, and everybody was shaking their head, shaking their head. And my father says, when we walk by, we got to shake our head. I says, what for? He says, well, we just out of respect, and he told me, he says, they automatically do that. He says, I don't believe in what they do, but he is, that's when I heard the first time, Godfather. Right. Well, that was part of the mystique. You know, it was hard to get into the mafia. 
uh, or Cosa Nostra. Yes. I mean, they were really considered uh, within the culture as an honorable society. They lived by their own rules and in many ways. Uh, interviews I've had with uh, either defectors or people who were still in the mob who talked to me about how important it was that they thought their coat, and I go a lot into this in, in mob lawyer and also in five families, how their code was superior. I mean, how they respected women, uh, how they wouldn't yes. commit certain crimes. Uh, but the whole idea was that they lived by a code that was different. Now, that code broke, it's broken down. It's not the same anymore. No way about it. Same way, if you were a civilian, if you didn't entreat, if you didn't involve yourself with the mafia, they would leave you alone. Absolutely. And that was one, one of his whole theories about why newspapers and the media didn't, you know, even the police department, it was vermin killing vermin when they had mobs. Yeah, even, you know, you know you, but the you're idea right. was you had to, you had to, in effect, uh, involve yourself. And if you didn't have anything to do with them, they left you alone. But that was only partly true to this extent. If you were a union member, you didn't have that in certain unions. Oh. You didn't have that kind of uh, independence. Right. And if you worked at the full fish market, Forget or you, it. Wanted to, you were a fish merchant, you didn't sure. have that kind of... Or in the garbage industry. Right. So in that sense, they did, they did affect everybody's life. But within the culture, you probably know it better than I do, Lou. Within the culture, the idea that you could become a made man, because membership was limited. They had a ceiling. Each family had a ceiling how many members it could have. And also, you could only be replaced if somebody died, a natural death or unnatural death. And it was so strong that you had to have Sicilian blood. That's right. Or both, both not just, no, you could have Italian blood. Well, so, well yes. But you family connected, for yes. a long time only wanted civilians, uh, Sicilians. Sicilians. The other that families was... would accept as long as both your parents were Italian-American. Right. Okay. Now, Gotti changed that, you know, with John Jr. Because mm-hmm. John Jr.'s mother... Gotti's wife, Jewish girl, half Italian. Oh, I thought she's Jewish. Was no, she half Italian? Was, oh. No, she was. Yeah, she was half Jewish <laughs> and half Italian. Half, she was half. Italian, she changed Jewish. her name. Her mother remarried. But, right. So the point was that she, he, his mother, John Gotti Jr.'s mother, who's still alive, Victoria, mm. was not. Uh, her parents weren't both Italians. Wow, boy. Well, you, you know, I could we talk about. Uh, uh, the what Jewish infiltration? I can think about we we uh, we all know. Uh, oh, I say we. I don't know what I'm saying. We all know. Of course, a lot of people have heard of Maya Lansky, of course, who was uh, involved, who lived a, a pretty normal. Uh, he died of old age or sickness, whatever. He was he was always hooked up somehow. When the movie shows that The Godfather, pretty much, but they don't say it's Maya Lansky. But I think it's based on. Yeah, that. well, they, yeah. they used. Listen, the mob was never an equal opportunity employer. But it always did use anybody, you know, certain skills, like uh, Lansky was terrific. You know, Lansky was a new guy who knew how to uh, run gambling. Yes. Uh, And they used, like, more recently, back in the 80s and 90s, they used the Westies, these Irish hoods. Correct. You know, they would use anybody. And, hey, they used, uh, for Murder Incorporated, uh, they used... Foxy uh, Siegel. Yeah. Oh, wait a second. What's his name? Louis Lefty. Who got the electric chair? Louis Lepke, yeah. But uh, again, but the point was they always use somebody. But you were never going to be made made no. member. You know, Lansky for all his influence, and he was very close to uh, Lucky Luciano, mm-hmm. uh, very close. He could never really be involved in important decisions. Like when they wanted to kill Bugsy Siegel, his partner, he couldn't prevent that. 
Mm. I mean, so he was always, you, know, you were always an employee. As long as you were an earner, made money for them, they didn't care. Uh, your book, The Five Families, it's Amazon, correct? But you can get it online. You can get it from Amazon. It's published by St. Martin's. And, uh, right. That's a tremendous... Get it at bookstores and Amazon. You know, it's a, I have to tell you, it's one of the, the, the biggest books of, uh, you know, that that you could... Actually, a big book that you do want to read. Usually, you just browse through it. But it's so interesting, maybe because of my background. But, uh, uh, you know, it's just... Very kind. You're very generous. And you had a good book. You're, you're a terrific writer also. Well, I don't know if I, I am, you know, this, uh, the book, actually, I, I, my late partner and I were talking about updating it. Our book that was written about us actually ends when we were promoted to detective. There's nothing in there when we made detective, which is so, which I would like to reveal now. So maybe I'll sit down and talk to you, you know. I like to talk about the real deal, you know, it really happens out there, you know. So, and I don't have a problem doing it, you know, when I say the real deal, and I'm thinking of statute of limitations, so I could say, I could say a few things, you know, so. You know, you talk about Italian-American, Italian-American police, you know who are two of the most important people who got, got things done? Uh, you ever hear of Ralph Salerno? Mm. Ralph Salerno was a brilliant detective, uh, and he did more to get the FBI interested, he was around in the from the 50s into the uh, into the 90s, yeah, well, he knew a wealth of information. Well, Selwyn is talking about a, a first-grade Italian-American detective who really knew the inside and outside and of, of the mafia. And yes. I mean, he, he educated me, among other things. Wow, he was... I mean, he knew, but again, they were always, they were always underdogs. Nobody